we have two guests on the show. Well, firstly, dusting off the podcast because this is a special <coughs> episode. Yes, that we haven't uh, we haven't been around in a while. Um, but we wanted to come back uh, with two guests who've been on the show before uh, in, in different ways, uh, but now together um, to talk about uh, this really awesome film called Circle of Steel. And uh, why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us all about it? Sure. So my name is Jillian McCarcher, and on Circle of Steel, I wrote, directed, and produced and co-edited the film. And Circle of Steel is a narrative... Oh, oops, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Circle of Steel is a narrative, uh, dramatic, dark comedy that I like to um, think is a slice of life of what it's like to work in the oil and gas field in Alberta. Cool. Yeah. It um, takes place when a young engineer, it's just after performance reviews and layoffs get announced. And so for the course of the film, we watch how this isolated field team reacts to this news. And it's the first time for a lot of them that a disruption's happened where what they thought they could do forever right. is challenged. Right. So it's an existential concept. And then we get to see if they stay or if they go. Right. Cool. So um, where did that idea come from? Well, so I worked in oil and gas as an engineer for about oh. four years. Okay. Um, I, I like to say I was grow, grow, I grew up in oil and gas. Right. Um, both of my parents are geologists. All of my summer work was in oil and gas companies as like students and helping out. Even when I was a kid, like I would go to my parents' offices sometimes on Saturdays when they had to go in. Yeah. Um, but when I was working in the final year, there were, that was when a lot of the uncertainty surrounding layoffs that anyone who lives in Alberta is very familiar with happened. Right. So I actually started writing this while I was employed. I knew that I wanted the lead character to um, experience that day, like the layoff day per se. Um, because... It just felt very potent at the time. Um, write what you know. Yeah. But also, I felt like this experience is actually quite universal. So it's not exclusive to oil and gas. You see tech people who go through the same thing. I showed the film in San Jose, and a lot of people from that industry, tons of engineers right, were of course, like, yeah. oh, I didn't know that this happened in other industries. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, but I didn't feel that it had ever been captured cinematically, yeah. and work is a huge part of everyone's life, a necessary part. Totally. And I'm really, really interested by what it means to work. Like, why do we go to work? So that's where this And how it's connected from. to identity and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So many people, like, when you ask, it's like, what do you do? That's the second thing many people ask yeah. when you're so talking. True, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That um, It's interesting to me that we don't have more oil and gas stories coming out of Alberta. Honestly. I, think I feel like it's so, like, it's, it's so much of our roots, and yet there's a separation between the storytellers and the people who work in that industry. I, I think it's it's a couple things, though. I think that people feel the long shadow of someone like Paul Thomas Anderson and There, there Will Be Blood. So you see that, right. and it's an epic. Um, when we think of oil and gas, I, it might just be too close, where you're like, that's not cool, it's not oh, exotic. That's kinda, yeah, that's kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, I don't know about you, but I have experienced feelings of resentment or embarrassment uh, for this social reputation that oil and gas has, especially when I travel outside of here. So right. there is a bit of like a chip on my shoulder, yeah. chip on the shoulder for what it means in oil and gas. But then again, the more that I've shared the film, the more it's, it's fascinating to a lot of people if repulsive. <laughs> right. So, um, that's cool. We should be own it, but it's a tough place to be. Like I, as an engineer, I didn't, I felt really awkward between being both an engineer and a filmmaker and it's right. taken like, years for me to even be okay wearing my iron ring in mm. filmmaking scenarios. Huh. Yeah. Well, my dad, 
roughneck, like started from the bottom, is now a, a, now the whole team here. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is uh, now a, a, a fisherman is the is the slang term where he 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 deals with pipe that or, or tools that are stuck mm-hmm. in the hole. And so I'm I too am from a, an oil family, despite you know some of the negative side of it that comes with it. So I mean, what the makings of a great film? I think you know a little bit of controversy, a little bit of um, yeah. That, I mean, that's what you need in a good story. I think. Okay, you're being humble. I've like worked with fishermen. Yeah. They find crazy stuff down there. It's true. Yeah, like, yeah. What? What? <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Okay. Wait, wait. What do they fish? Um. So in a well, when you think of a well, it's like a, a. It depends on what sort of well we're talking about. If we're talking of conventional assets, so this is when you think of like the pump jack. Yeah. That's conventional. That's not. That's that that method is dying out. But what your dad would do is basically he goes to a well where there's a giant metal straw on the ground. They, he has to go in there and like retrieve things. So when you put that in, people might drop a wrench down there. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Exactly. People yeah. might drop like a shoe down there. Right. People might, a dead animal, a dead right. animal might like sure. fall, fall down in, there right. and then get caught. Um, sometimes it's like not that impressive. Like it's just like something's plugging it and they don't know what necessarily. They don't yeah. necessarily know what. So your dad goes in there and like checks it out. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah. it, as you called it, the asset is so valuable that he just sits there in case something happens. Like yes. normally, you get you call these people out, but if it's a really vital, right? Hole, and if if yeah, if the output is warrants him being yeah. there, paying yeah. to have him on site like, for just the amount of time that it would be stopped producing, yeah, yeah. yeah. the tube might break, and right. so then he actually has to help pull out the broken part. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty specialized too. Like maybe not as much now, but I remember when he went for the training, he was like one of one hundred in the world at at that time. So. So yeah. I, anyway, it's a it, it is an interesting world, and Guillaume, I, I'd love you to uh, join us, uh, just because from your perspective, you produced, correct? Yeah. Yep. Um, I I didn't I didn't know what it was about. I heard the title, and then I I, I think I heard you on the radio, um, and I was like, oh, this is a really great, especially in Alberta, uh, and in a time where we're having this conversation about oil, which we've had for a long time. But like, is is it not to be crass because art is important too? But was it mm. not a good sort of promotional element too yeah i mean like i think that question uh harkens back to when jill was even first writing it and when you first started thinking about telling the story in the first place you know like we, we started this conversation by saying like why aren't there more stories about oil and gas mm. uh in alberta and told by albertans right and that was the same question we faced mm-hmm. when we started writing it we were like no i wouldn't say doubt but we were sort of like should we tell this? Can we tell this? Is what? there is there maybe a reason that there hasn't <laughs> yeah. been more that we just haven't right. tapped into yet? And like yeah. Jill said, it's sometimes you're too close to it, but sometimes you're too close to it and you can't see the story, and sometimes you're too close to it and you don't want to tell the story because mm. maybe it affects your your interpersonal mm. relationships sure. and your sure. society, right? Yeah. It's a yeah. little bit scary to comment directly on the people who are your neighbors. Absolutely, yeah. Right? yeah. And even at this table, we're all touched by oil and gas. Totally. Right? And and having just gone through the election, too, it's... It That's right. Yeah. yeah. Big conversation. So what does this movie mean now coming coming out after the election? Yeah. It's, it, you know, we were thinking about it. So anyways, but at the time, uh, how far back were we going? Like three years? No. When you first started writing? No, I was writing Two. it... I was 25 when I first started really thinking about the story. Right. So. Mm-hmm. And when we first started talking about it, remember on our road trips, uh, the the... We were talking about oil and gas, like the oil and gas industry as a idea for a film, um, kind of like Mad Men, actually. You know? Right. It's got built-in yeah. drama. Yeah, right? yeah. And right. there's incredible power moves that happen all the time, mm-hmm. right? What I love about oil and gas, 
the idea of it is that anybody can make it. It's not an old money situation. Right. The entire industry is entirely new money. Even if you're like a second generation, like some of us here at this table are second generation oil and gas workers. It's like, it doesn't put you at that much of a, an advantage compared to somebody who comes from like Nigeria and wants to start working. So, um, yeah, people are crazy. In a and good way. and I mean, like, there's danger working in that. Totally. Like, yeah. the stakes are crazy, and the politics, and and the, just the personalities are amazing in there too. Like, you know, we talk about how great the people of the film industry are, but every industry is like that. Oh yeah, and oil is oil's truly ubiquitous. Um, you know, it's one thing to say you've never met an oil worker, or one thing to not misunderstand what production is like in any aspect but like at the end of the day everybody in the world consumes oil, yeah. oil product mm -hmm. so it is interesting to see how people react whether they're intimate with the subject matter or not like where their judgment has been towards mm -hmm. it um because yeah like all of us use plastic yeah mm -hmm. oh totally i have pretty strong feelings about this as well <laughs> yeah. um but yeah I had a thought, and then it, now it's gone. Is the thing about? This but is that is that what you're trying to? Uh, is that what the film? The goal of the film is to have these conversations. No, I think the goal of the film at the end of the day was really just to tell a really personal story, okay. and that personal story is about. I like to call it an adult coming of age story, like um, where you're a, the the main the main through line for the film is you're a young person and you're questioning the uncertainty of the future. And a lot of that uncertainty surrounds work. Right, so the, right. what what does it mean to be uncertain about your work identity? But, I mean, the film was, like, it came out of a lot of frustration for myself, um, mainly because in engineering, I'm sure Canadian listeners have heard of, like, the iron ring ceremony. It's very cultish. You wear an iron ring when you graduate from university. Um, and if you haven't graduated, like, it's kind of, like, you, if as an engineer, you say a right, kind of like the Hippocratic Oath, is that right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's the same equivalent, like Rudyard Kipling wrote it. He wrote oh. the Jungle Book. Yeah. Um, you like chant and like in it, you honor yourself to a higher power, hmm. to uh, good workmanship and the honor of the soul. And so for engineers, I believe good workmanship is like almost 100% the case, like everyone's compliant. But I just felt, especially with layoffs coming out, that none of us were honoring our soul that none of us were passionate about our work. We had kind of really lost touch with why the purpose of doing good work. Many of the engineers I met like acknowledged that fossil fuels like had an end date. They believed in uh, climate change. They believed, mm. you know, if they had more motivation and maybe some financial security, like would totally be down to electrify the like right. to electrify Alberta in under a green um, with green energy. So right. it's like that to me that conflict really drove me to make this. And I think it's kind of imbued in the story. If yeah. more, uh, I like that a lot under subtle. I also want to add that you, you were feeling, um, uh, the strain and the weight of working for a very large company and what, and what, what happens to, um, people when they get worked through a large company like mm. that and how do large companies treat people? Right. Right. Which is a big theme in our film as well. Yeah. And again, coming coming back to identity, right? Stripping you down to a number or yeah, a, a, a line item on a on a balance sheet. I just really wanted to see people. Yeah. Like I felt like the, these stories weren't like the people who lose their job. Like it really 
it really sucks yeah. and I feel so bad for them. So I just wanted to say like, I see you, like your story matters and I, I like, I sympathize with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think over the course of my, my childhood and my life, my dad's been laid off, you know, three or four times. Right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's just the cycle of, of the industry. It seems. Yeah. And even with your dad being like doing what he does, there's like, I think it's super screwed up, but like there's an hierarchy of work as well mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah. Oh, well if you're an engineer, that's like, gold star but if you're like an operator you're a contract or a contractor you're a different level and generally in the round of layoffs like your father would be like laid off before like me in the office sure. yeah, yeah. which is i hate the idea that some work is more valuable like it it's yeah. tough like it, everyone's important but it's it's effed <laughs> for sure and, and and how do you decide how, how that how that goes yeah, yeah. So having not seen the film, maybe this is a dumb question, but is that what you're referring to when you say Circle of Steel, that ring? Yeah, that's I where see. it came from. The ring had a lot, like in early drafts, it was a... It was a big scene, yeah. <laughs> there was like a big scene. It was like supposed to be some grand metaphor, but, you know, it kind of got lost in later drafts. But yeah, it, in general, it's what it refers to. The, the, the ring is not really a major player in the film anymore, but hmm. yeah, the, the, it's titles, it's, yeah. the title stuck, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've got this script that you've written. Now, now what? Mm. What, what? How did tell us tell us that kind of path to getting to into production and, and what that looked like? For sure. So the script. So I started writing it when I was twenty five, and then um, I think the the first thing is you get your draft, and then you start getting people to look at it and give you feedback. And once you have your first draft, then you can start applying for things. So we applied for. Um, production grants or like production mentorship programs to a number of places, but we're ultimately unsuccessful, which I want to say on air too, because I think people get really yeah. um, sad when they get rejected and it happens to everyone. When you apply for funding, you might not get it the first time. You probably won't realistically. You probably won't. Yeah, or the second time. Or the well, yeah, we, have, we say this all the time. We call it earning your nose, right? If you think about it, most, most programs or grants, you know, state's no different, even the, the education program there. They're oversubscribed by about 10 to 1, which means that nine people are getting a no for every one person that gets a yes. And unless you are something, you know, ridiculously special, you should expect to get nine no's for every one yes that you get. And trial and error is huge. So yeah. a big thing with the script was people were very concerned that the budget level was like going to be astronomical right. because you say, I want to do oil. And they're just thinking of like, uh, what is it called? Well, um, manufactured a landscapes by... Edward Bertinsky, they're just like, how are you going yeah. to get that shot? <laughs> right. <laughs> or right. back to There Will Be Blood, too, you know? Yeah. Like, it sets such a precedent. Sure. Or Armageddon. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> right? Those are oil workers. <laughs> um, but luckily, we oh, got gosh. a grant. <laughs> We're in good company. <laughs> I, okay, I like Armageddon. I do, too. Um, but, like, like you, I got the same. Uh, the Calgary Film Center had their project lab, and I was so success, um, so lucky and fortunate to get a grant through you, them. You know, maybe you should talk about Sundance, too. Well, I mean, the reason, okay, like, I don't. It's not negligible. Basically, when I was 25, I saw that Sundance had this writer's lab, and so, and it had a deadline, and that deadline was you get to submit your script, and then that script goes on to a second round, and right. then you can maybe get your film made. And a lot of films that Sundance shows, like Swiss Army Man, was made that way. Oh, wow. So I wrote a treatment and I sent it to them and then I got advanced to the second round, which is only happens for like, ten, like 
less than 10% of the people who apply. That's awesome. So it was a huge vote of confidence. Wow. And they're like, all right, we want to see your script in like two weeks. And I was like, Oops. oh, well, <laughs> at that point I had written the first draft, but it was like not good. Mm-hmm. So then it, like the motivation was to keep getting it better. So ultimately I didn't get in, which is cool, but, um, it was a huge motivator. It was a huge and motivator. It's a good program to know about. And so totally, yeah. coming yeah. back to getting funding, I think that every application you do, especially like I take every single application a hundred percent seriously. Like I'm not like, Oh, this will be good practice. I'm like, no, I'm going to get it. Right. <laughs> and then, um, even if you don't get it, like cry for a couple hours and then you're like, well, you know, now I have all this work that exactly. you know, I can mold exactly and like, right. make it yeah. better. So that second script, which got rejected, was a really great place to start sharing it with like our executive producer, Gary Burns, who then came onto the project and a couple other people. Mm-hmm. So you apply, so f- the film center was coming up, <clears throat> the project lab was coming up right about around then as well, or was that a little bit later? That was a bit later. A little bit later? Yeah. Um, and you applied for production financing? Yes. Yeah. And were successful at that. Yeah. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and the Alberta Media Fund as well. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Oh shit! Now you have to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about all the kind of pre-production stuff and what were you what, mm. what what were you what were you feeling at the time? And tell us, like, bring us into that moment. I feel like both of us, like Guillaume and I, were such babies when we like yeah. b- not babies in our attitude, but babies in like our soft skin. We're like, it's gonna be so magical. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You definitely have. I think when you when you are about to make your first film, you think uh, well, you have a lot of thoughts, but I think that you kind of. You have like a, a utopian version of how it's going to go down, yeah. and then you have to start all of a sudden start thinking about porta potties, mm-hmm. yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and insurance, and oh yeah, uh, insurance, yeah. So it's like um, it's an incredible um, uh, slap of reality, and but like not unpleasant. I mean, I say porta potties, but like it, it, everything is just a, a challenge. Everything is just like an obstacle that yeah. if you if you get discouraged by um, the nature of the obstacle, then maybe you're hooped, but they're just, they're, that's all they are. They're just obstacles and they can be overcome. Totally. And you start to see the making of a film, at least for me, as a machine. Yeah. And you have to feed this mm-hmm. machine food and coffee and it yeah. outputs shots. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. That's like as a producer, that's, that was it. Like all you do. So I'd say like our first major step, and this is uh, the crucial one that, that anybody who hasn't made a feature film yet should um, really uh, take into extreme consideration is like curating your team. You know, and what like what kind of like added value do certain uh, heads of department bring to you, uh, especially with their experience, but also mm-hmm. with like the the gelling of the team. I mean, I'm saying this from like with my producer hat on, right? Yeah, yeah. of course. But there's a lot, like so much of of filmmaking is um, managing personalities, right, and managing egos. Absolutely. To make sure that everyone's uh, can see the same thing. Yeah. Right? And everyone feels heard. Yeah. Guillaume calls it set magic. Like set magic is a real thing mm. that you should. You should strive towards. Yeah, yeah. It should be the yeah. goal. So when everyone's kind of clicking and yeah, like if you know someone's like a an asshole head of department, but they're very good at their job, is it actually worth them being there? Right, of course not. Yes. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I, I would say of course not. Of course there are some exceptions if they're that good. But one, one of our earliest roles, things that we did is once we got the money, we were like, oh my gosh, this is a real thing. We brought on another producer right away. So Robin Ho, she's not here with us right now. She's also a producer at Critical Mass, and um, Guillaume and her work have worked on a few other things together. Yeah, but um, number well, the first thing we did is we we're like, well, if Jillian's going to be directing, Jillian speaking in the third person now, <laughs> um, if I'm going to be directing, and Guillaume has a full time job, like there's 
we just need, we needed help. So we mm-hmm. brought her on right away and like, it was such a pleasure to work with her. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, then the big one that um, we owe a lot of the film to is we were able to bring in uh, Emily Renner Wallace. Yes. Yeah. Nice. As your first? As a first AD. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And maybe do you want to talk a little bit about the relationship between a director and a first? Yeah. Um, Cause some, some people might not realize how insanely important that is. So <laughs> Circle of Steel was my first time ever working with a first assistant director. I had Oh wow, amazing. Okay. Yeah, so my entire career my entire career before that, I just did everything myself because yeah. I thought that's how you did it. I grew up in a really DIY spirit. Sure. I didn't even think I needed a first AD, honestly. Right. <laughs> but then people were like, "No, you should totally get one." Um Guillaume is really good friends with Scott Lutley, so Scott is like, "You should like have a conversation with Emily." So we did. Basically, no, this is this just shows you how much of a, a baby I was. She's like, all right, Jillian. So I put together our, our uh, prep schedule. Uh, here you go. I'm like six weeks before shooting. I think this is a little like and like stupid. Like this is just too much time. Right. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, why do we need a tech scout three weeks before? Oh, okay. Or right I'm like, on. I'm yeah. meeting with these. Like, what, I don't, what are we going to talk about even <laughs> yeah. this far in advance? <laughs> totally yeah. amazing. And what I realized is, um, I had like. She was, I learned so much from her on this production and I could really trust and depend on her to have my back. And because she was so um, professional and committed and passionate with this team, I also felt that I had to bring my best A game all the time too. So it was this like mutual respect that I don't, I like, I don't think I could have done this film without her. I think, um, she made the budget level appear way higher than it actually was. And what I like too about her is the rest of the crew really, 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 really respected her. So I felt like she elevated everyone to their, the best of their abilities. And then I also wanted to like do her right. And she's worked on so many things. Like yeah. we, we weren't paying her super well. Like we did not pay her well, Of course. but she still brought her experience to this. And like, I just, she brought everything. Yeah, yeah. A first assistant director changed my life and <laughs> I will never not work with one again. What is on set? Tell me, tell me the difference between doing it yourself and having someone else there in charge of that. As far as, as far as your, how you work. Yeah. Well, you know, like a music video, actually I shot this music video for Car- Cartel Madras. I did all of the work myself. So I guess technically I am a first AD on that <laughs> yeah. one too, but when the project is super small, it's manageable. It's sure. bite-sized. Of course, like, sure. It just, for economy of time and money, it's just easy to do it. Not easy, but you can do it yourself. The moment that you have something which is like 16 days, it's much bigger, you're basically like inflating the budget by <clears throat> like by a ton, Like depending on what your budget level is. You just can't control all of those things. And the balance between creative decisions and practical decisions, just there is none. So if you want to make the best movie possible, you do need to start compartmentalizing and allowing someone like a first AD to be thinking about your schedule, the shots for the next day. I mean, you're, you're always communicating, but you know, if I need to talk to an actor, she can be talking to the gaffer to say like, how long is it going to take this shot to set up? And then she can start deciding, okay, should we take a lunch break? Should Mm -hmm. we not? So it's such a left brain, right brain thing. The difference, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And as a director, I think you're the only, like everyone's got their own little thing to focus on. In my opinion, your job is performance. No one else is looking at that like you are. Mm-hmm. And if you're also thinking about 
I don't really have time for another shot or like those kinds of things. You're not focusing on what you should be focusing on. Additionally, you're thinking about the film as a whole piece. So <clears throat> there might unfortunately come a time where she goes, we're five minutes away from a 12 hour day. Yeah. Your letter of understanding with IATSE is not going to allow us to do overtime. Plus we also have a night shoot tomorrow. What do you want to do? You're the only person who's thinking of the film as a whole. Right. So you can say, you know what? We actually don't need this. Or you say, we absolutely need this shot. Let's push it to a different day and we'll figure it out. Yep. So if you're not in a position to make that decision, then you're going to, uh, the, the film is going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what was your prep activity like? Like, Tell us what you were kind of, how, how you were feeling. Like, bring mm-hmm. us there. Like, what was that all about? Uh, it was a total crash course. Like, yeah. I, I, I joke, like, oh, now yeah. I'm ready to talk yeah. to make a movie. <laughs> I don't think it was is um, an unpleasant experience, but like you and you and our DOP Grant Cooper um, spent a lot of time together talking about just l- like looking at films, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at um, lighting, looking at different uh, styles of composition. What does natural mean, anyways? Right? You guys have talked a lot about that. Tone was big. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that the prep, because of Emily's structure, it was quite traditional when you think about, excuse me, um, what it means. But we took it so seriously that. Actually, when when shooting came, we were really prepared. And I would say shooting was the smoothest part of of our entire process, surprisingly. surprisingly. Like, shooting was super great. Like, the set was great. The attitude was good. Um, And a lot of that comes just from prep, uh, going over the script so much, um, involving everyone and treating it super seriously. I'm trying to think about other stuff. We I hear something. In prep, we actually, like, started talking to our composer – I had the theme song written before we finished shooting because I wanted to have, I was in the past, I always put music last and it was always the weakest link Mm -hmm. in all of my work. And then I noticed I started working with this woman named Amy Nelson to do her music videos and my work, it just like was so much better. Right. And the Calgary collection too was just like way better than anything else I'd done. So I was like, Oh, maybe I should stop thinking of this as an afterthought. Maybe it's as important to this. And I know Tron and like the Lord of the Rings, like Howard Shore for, the latter was a super integral part, even in pre-production. So I was having conversations with Rebecca Bruton, our composer, in July before we started shooting yeah. in November. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm so thankful that happened. And yeah, I think it made everything so much tighter. Yeah. And ultimately, the music is like another character in the film. Nice. Yeah. Which we were super happy about. Mm-hmm. But maybe talk a little bit about casting and how you were, mm. you actually did a lot of the main casting yourself and a lot of the research yourself. So uh, Jason Long is our casting director, but <clears throat> and he's awesome. We had a really good time working yeah, with Jason him. But I so he cast, he found Kiki for us, our Tina Lehman. So who, thank God we found her. Thanks, Jason. I did find um, the principal, like some of the other principals. So like Chantel Hahn, who plays Wendy, the lead character, Duncan Olerenshaw. I just reached out to his agent because I really liked him, and Andrea Perry as well. Um, I've been wanting to work with her for a long time. Like Yom and I auditioned her for something else a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And she's like, my favorite act. I really like Charlotte Gainsbourg. And I was like, oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> I'm like, I am obsessed. I'm the girl who like buys perfume if Charlotte Gainsbourg. Is okay. Like, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, for Chantal Hahn, I knew that I wanted. So for Wendy, the main character, I knew I wanted to have a, a young woman of color. And I have a, I had this idea of what an engineer would be. And I met her at an RBC financial planning workshop for artists at the Ignite Festival, which um, was run through Swallow Bicycle Mm -hmm. Theater and Stage Theater. 
bicycle. No, not Swallow Bicycle. Man. Anyways, the Ignite Festival, I met her there. And I just went up to her and I was like, hey, I'm making a film. Like, uh, do you think that maybe I could get your number and we should talk? <laughs> She's like, yeah, of course. So then we met up for coffee and we talked a lot. Then we went out for beers with Guillaume as mm-hmm. producer and we talked a lot. And then I asked around to a few other people about her acting and they're like, oh, she's going to be great. And I hadn't even seen her acting reel. I hadn't seen anything she'd actually oh. acted in. And I offered her the role Wow! because I'd heard stories like that before. She just seemed right, like a right fit. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to work with her ahead of time and workshop. So I, I in my past, that's what I've done. I've cast people because they felt right. And then totally. I work with them. Yeah. And like, I, I, since I'm writing it, I can work to adjust the script. Right. And it's actually like pretty fortuitous because she's going to be in Guillaume's upcoming film, oh, cool. um, Everybody All Together Now. And I love working with her. We've become really good friends. So Nice. And everyone's commented. I kind of, yeah. everyone's fallen in love with her. Mm-hmm. So I hope. You just knew. You just had that gut feeling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you're also great. a fan of like Mike Lee films where he does a lot of that too. Totally. I just, I, I don't want to overthink casting too much. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to cast non-actors, but I think, yeah, if you know who this person is and you know that they've got acting chops, what's the problem? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, you know, sometimes, like, I was even talking to Chantelle about this yesterday where she, she was saying that sometimes casting agents don't like it when you even change, like, one word in your in your audition tape. Right. And to me, that's so prohibitive. Of course. Like, that's silly. Who, who, like, why are we doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, we're certainly not Hollywood, We're and, you know, we're certainly not, like, big enough to pull in like that kind of rank I, you know i just yeah, i like, want to see what you bring to it and if that mm-hmm. changes things a little bit don't change don't change the intention of the of the line or the of the scene but yeah. if, if you've got a different vibe why why are we preventing people from doing that it's, yeah. yeah i just i really love people people <laughs> i'm obsessed with people and yeah. i think i and people have commented on like the diversity not just of like like people of color and, and gender in the film but the diversity of people of like any type in the film in Circle of Steel. Mm. How do you mean? Uh, I've, you know, something I've heard often is that, that people say, like, I can't believe I just saw a film where an engineer is played by a young Asian woman and her two coworkers are, like, a middle-aged man and a middle-aged lady, you know? Like, no one... No Even one just within see, relationships. Yeah, no one's, yeah. like, that chemistry yeah. is just, like, we just don't see that on a, on a film. This is clear. true. This yeah. is true. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it feel like real people. Yeah. 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 Well, it's also... And perhaps true to... Uh, your work life too. Yeah, that's something I want to say too. Like, even though it's part of my, like, socially, I think it's really important to engage with uh, communities who are often not seen on screen um, in cinematic history. I also think, like, it would be inaccurate for me not to show, like, a female engineer who's also a person of color. Because so when I graduated engineering, UFC had the most amount of women graduating that year mm. out of the entire country, wow. 30%. And of that 30%, I would say half of them, more than half of them, were uh, Asian, actually. Oh, that's great. Where, now I'm just, like, guessing, but, like, uh, my best friends in school, lots of them came from diverse backgrounds. And so to have, like, to not, to exclude those faces would actually be misrepresentative of the current environment in Alberta's right. engineering, right. which is super diverse. Like, people from all over the world come of all ages, my very first job, I was the youngest person by like 15 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and there were everyone, it's only two people were native born Albertans and both of us are not white. So, right. <laughs> you know, when you think about that, it's like, 
if everybody on set was like looked one way, it would actually be fake. It would right, be wrong. Right. right. Yeah. All, but you know, Hollywood doesn't seem to have a problem with <laughs> with not representing the the current situation. Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. <laughs> I love ScarJo though. Uh, so, so what happened in production? What was the, can you tell us the, the, the horror story? If there was one, was there? Oh, uh, shout out to Robin for letting us get the bull rider. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like a last minute glitch. Um, no, well, you know, there were, there aren't really, as far as I know, there aren't horror stories. They're just like logistical, like, like puzzles, you know, that you just have to go through it in the filmmaking. But you know, ours is a modest film. It's a lot of people in rooms talking, right? Um, the the most uh, logistical kind of feat that we did, had to pull off was a, a bull riding sequence. Like, sorry, a mechanical bull riding sequence. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, that was, but it's fixable. Mm. Yeah. It was it was kind of like a surprise because of insurance reasons, but. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, uh, so so you when you go into do stunts, you have to have like certain kinds of insurance, right? Yeah, of course. And, um, and then it kind of, didn't align well with like our workday all of a sudden because we were tra- we were trying to work it into the workday and yeah it was complicated. Okay, but we almost didn't weren't able to shoot that because oh. we didn't have a stunt coordinator on set. So luckily, yeah, which you need to have as well as this. Yeah, but they had said it was fine before, and then on the day of shooting, they said actually we're not going to allow you. And so oh. after I got on the phone, and they're like, "Hey, this is crazy. Do you even know what the stunt is?" And then even when the stunt coordinator came, he's like, "All right, what's happening?" And we showed him. He's like, "Okay, oh. wait, hold on a second. That's what I okay." I guess sure, <laughs> sure. Let's do this. Um, and like we're so, f- I'm like, oh, it's good we got it. Yeah, there you yeah. go. But that was, <laughs> that was five five a.m. phone calls by Robin. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a. I mean, it's a good note for any filmmaker. It's it don't don't sleep on your stunt situation because you may not realize how intense the sure. insurance folks are about or, even or the what constitutes stuff. a stunt. Exactly. And, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So you shot for sixteen days in November. Mm-hmm. Where? Sixteen days. Uh, sixteen days. November, December, and uh, CL Ranch. Okay. So thank you to Teresa Cop- Teresa Coppathorn for like letting us shoot there. Um, we actually shot in the trailers that were like the lunch trailers for like Winona Earp. And right. Cool, and that makes sense. Like that. Yeah, those look like oil. Like- and like, yeah. thank you so much to Scott Scott Lutley for like suggesting that because yeah. again. If these things didn't happen, like, I don't think we'd be talking here. Right yeah. Now. Um, so, yeah, 16 days, uh, CL Ranch, um, in and around Calgary. So, all of the stuff that's like small towny mm-hmm. is actually just Calgary locations. Um, yeah, we shot at Ranchman's and at Sate, uh, Fifth Avenue Place for the final scene, and um, TD Tower, or I don't know what you call it. It's kind of my dad's company let us shoot. Thank you to Kona Resources for uh, shooting in there on their floor originally I didn't want to ask my dad but um I contacted a few buildings and they're like oh so what do you need I'm like I just need to have like an empty floor I know that they're everywhere because right now vacancy rates rates are 30% they're like okay we can let you shoot there for a couple hours (laughs) $10,000 I'm not you're laughing and multiple places are like yeah we need um that much and I was like no. You realize that like, we're not Fargo, we're, yeah. yeah. And so then I told my dad, and he's like, so proud. He's like, I just gave you a ten thousand dollar in kind donation. <laughs> which nice. I think we've used that in a line. I we, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that's the quote, like, which is yeah, insane. What? It's insane. Like, why not make a grand mm-hmm. as opposed to nothing by yeah, yeah. 
You know what? I think that's actually, I want to comment a little bit on that in Calgary's scene. Like, you never realize how much you already have mm-hmm. when you're making a film. Yeah, you're you right. Know? And, like, Robert Rodriguez talks about that in his book, right? Mm-hmm. That if you're going to make something, like, you know, be realistic about what what you can make, but also realistic of, like, what you have around you. Totally, yeah. And and it turns out that, like, Alberta does actually does have quite a bit in place already to tell, you know, these, like, sort of, like, mirror-reflected stories. Uh, yet at the same time, you encounter stuff like this with the offices, yeah, yeah. and you're just like... Things that you kind of did maybe take for granted or assumed oh, you could get. Man, it's just so unimaginative from an admin- administrative point of view sure, what people sure. will and won't let happen in the city. Like, yeah. Just sometimes it boggles my mind. Okay, that that's that's probably like the extreme example for the right. most mm-hmm. part. Everyone was so, yeah. so generous. Amazing. Yeah. Um, a lot of people gave to this film in ways which aren't like explicitly recognized, so... Like the PPE that all of the characters wear, like that's over a thousand dollars to yeah. outfit somebody. But like a lot of my friends, like I have a set. Right. A lot of my friends have sets that they donated. Nice. That's great. Um, but like you know, those are things where you tell your costume designer you want this, and she's like, "I just looked up the cost. Like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me?" Yeah. And you're like, "Don't worry, I have you covered." <laughs> yeah. But this is where like telling your story and knowing what you can mine from other people is important. Yeah. Oh, getting I guess no, yeah, things were good. Smooth sailing, guys. Yeah. Making a film is easy. No, post-production was really hard. Well, that's the next question. That was was the tough part. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that we we used all of our budget to make the film, like, birth, you know, cradle to grave. Right. Right. Um, And then some more. Yeah. Yeah. So we we did try to shoehorn in um, the post-budget in there. Yeah. and I mean, yeah, it was it was a learning uh, that as well as a learning curve, um, and it makes us think twice about maybe getting like a post production supervisor, mm. something right. like that. Someone, just one person who can like oversee um, the three major things that are coming in, right? Which is your sound, your color, and your your music. Right. Beyond that, though, also it's deliverables. So mm-hmm. you know, our our film, we're still kind of working through this and learning for the next couple projects. But we have all all of our deliverables, but it's about getting them into one place and right. like making it that final step streamlined. But we had never done that before. Yeah, it's, it's a bitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like you said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we were even just at the Cuff um, um, Distributors and Sales Agents panel. And, you know, someone asked, like, what's, like, the most basic, obvious thing that you should think about for approaching distributors and sales agents? Deliverables. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a lot of, like, first-time filmmakers, like, what is deliverables? Right. You know, how many What is deliverables? <laughs> <laughs> You're asking right yeah. now, because <laughs> a lot of first-time filmmakers are listening. Okay, so so if you are if you so we were lucky enough to have a distributor sign on in, in the first place because we needed a distributor to access the funds from CFC. Um, no, Can uh, Cal- the Calgary, Calgary Film, Film Center. Center, not the Canadian. And um, and so most of your most of the time your distributors will have a list of what deliver- deliverables are, and so uh, and. What that is is just like what you have to send to them so that they can put it on a broadcast platform or an online, you know, distributor platform. Everyone's different, so I can't. I don't want to go too technically into it, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's like, do you give them an MP4 versus a ProRes? Do right. you give them a, a 5.1 mix or a stereo mix or a DMD mix? Do you give them or all of the above? Or oh, all yeah. of the above? Right. <laughs> Typically, it's all of the above on, on all those points. Yeah, uh, closed yeah. captioning. Uh, some require it, some don't. Like I know, Telefilm will always ask that you give them closed captioning in both languages. So yeah. make sure you have a translation fee if you don't speak French or English. Right. Um, QC. QC. Mm-hmm. Uh, QC is a quality check, so you're sending it out to, um, to check for all kinds of things, like anything, any kind of like scratch or like 
dent in the film. Or burnt out Frames, pixel. pixels. Yeah. Um, yeah. The QC will like be like merciless when they go over this thing. Mm-hmm. If you're paying them well and uh, and you want to, you know, mm-hmm. you want you want this thing. The worst situation you could have with deliverables is that you've made you've gone through hell and back to make your film. Uh, you've even gotten into film festivals and you're you're you know you're on top of the world and then your deliverables come back and you can't deliver. Right. So that is, that is just like the most uh, disheartening, defeating moment, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like imagine you couldn't just say you got into TIFF and you couldn't give them a DCP. So right. uh, I forget what DCP is, but it's digital like, cinema package. There we go. Yeah. So it's the item which has like the huge, like uncompressed version of your film, which you then project onto a screen, so it looks really, really sharp. Um, I've heard some festivals are ex- you don't need to deliver a DCP, but right now, like you have to. If you seems to be getting more common that you need it, yeah. Yeah. So if you couldn't give that to them, it doesn't matter if you're the next like. Christoph Kieslowski, like you just, <laughs> yeah. they're not going to show your film. For sure, for sure. Which is, mm-hmm. would really mm-hmm. suck. Totally. <laughs> but I mean, thankfully, when you get your QC back, there's always, almost always a way to, to solve these yeah. problems. Yeah. Uh, it's just the question is, do you have the money to do that? Right. And do you also have like enough uh, pre, pre-planning and work done so that when, let's say you're, you get QC back and you have to go back into your film, that you are able to open it up again right, and right, adjust. Right. Sometimes, if your film's a mess, like all the way through in editing, like that that process will just eat up so much t- more time, yeah, more money. This is, and this part of why, like you said, a post supervisor or even just having professionals in those roles, yeah, so important. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not because of necessarily creative skill or talent. It's about just knowing how to set up a timeline properly. Yeah, I I mean we make it sound like we've. Like it, it, we make it sound like it's been smooth sailing, but I'll say it's been one of the biggest learning curves. And emotionally, it's very taxing. Um, and I, I don't really know how you prepare for it. You just kind of you do as much planning as you can. And I think that's one of the things which uh, kind of debilitated us is we didn't do as much planning in post as we would like. Mm. So we did a lot of muscling through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of work. A lot of it's avoidable. Um, but we learned a lot. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that we're now almost done (laughs) (laughs) well i mean one one big amazing moment was didn't you sell it to sell out two screenings at the calgary international film festival Mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah huge yeah it kind of it kind of i feel like uh, the word in the street when i was like just listening to people talk about it was like it's the layoff movie (laughs) right (laughs) right uh and it was really impressive to see all kinds of different people um come come up to us and tell us that uh that the film really affected them and and it is universal. It's it seems even though we're being quite specific about like who is telling the story and like what kind of people we cast sure. in it. Um, yeah, like yeah, but that's good storytelling though. Uh, regardless, yeah, you're connecting was, to a larger was, human experience. It was awesome to see like fifty year old like roughnecks with like tears in their eyes being like, <laughs> amazing. I feel represented. <laughs> okay, they they don't have that. <laughs> well, maybe they did. This particular um, person, yeah. yeah, in a well, different screening, perhaps. Uh, it's just been nice to share the story, and I think people. It's been nice for people to look if you this entire experience has also been about redefining what success is, because I feel like I've just like last year I was like, I feel like my mind was like in a different planet. But to have anybody watch your film is like that is that is success. If you have somebody like even if they don't like it, Omaha didn't really like the film. And that's totally Hmm. cool. That's all right. And to have people say like, "Well, I didn't like this," or "I did," that is such a privilege as an art- artistic person yeah. to have someone actually like see your piece of work place, as yeah. something. Yeah. So, right. yeah, I feel very fortunate. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 No, it's. Uh, it, it, I think we were surprised by how much it resonated very quickly, mm-hmm. in, uh, in uh, at the Calgary International Film Fest. And, yeah. and we've learned a lot from those audience screenings as well, and like getting mm-hmm. reviews back and things like that, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, we can. There's. It's exciting to still like make great to like still be motivated to make great work. Like even in your company, you've now made two films. You're always hoping that the next one is better and better course, and better, course, and yeah. you learn. So it's it's been really great. And and like you like you say, like I I, I certainly identify with the now. I feel like I'm ready to make a film mm-hmm. because it's yeah. You, the only way to learn is to do it. Really, I mean, you can learn a mm-hmm. lot in film school. And people can lot. tell you, yeah. but to, to go through it is a whole. <laughs> you have to get hands on, and you and start to recognize that every movie that ever gets made is a miracle. Totally, even yeah. if it's the, like it's like. Yeah, it should not exist in the real Yeah, and everything world. is fighting against it. And you, and yeah. like you like you said, with uh, just solving problems. That's that's all it is is solving problems that you would never think that you would have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the weirdest, yeah. stupidest problems yeah. ever. Like you're in the middle of nowhere, and you're in this stupid truck, <laughs> and it's out of gas, and it's like, how did this happen to yeah, me? Yeah. 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 But some of it is even it doesn't. It, people don't even care. This is what another thing that I've learned too. The number one thing which sucks is like nobody cares about your problem. No. They no, just want course. it. It's like yeah. you're like, oh yeah, tomorrow is uh, the day that I'm going to deliver the picture Glock. Nobody gives a shit that mm-hmm. you feel horrible. You've had bad sleep. Maybe you just had a big fight with your family sure. the night before, and you're like, I'm not ready to deliver. Nobody cares. Nope. Um, or like the. Te- I remember even for the trailer. This is funny. Like when we exported the trailer, it was the wrong aspect ratio. And I was like, it's the wrong aspect ratio. And everybody was like, no one's going to care. It's just the teaser, whatever. And I was like, no, we have to do it. And everyone was really mad because I was being very demanding. But like nobody, nobody cared that I was like, it was the wrong aspect ratio. Right. And this isn't a slight at anyone. It's just like people's, you have to really fight all the time to care about it. Even that texting scene, like, Mm. Everyone's like, it's yeah, fine. Went, like, it's, that, it's yeah. So that's oh actually a good example of uh, if you watch the film, there's a texting scene, and this one, this this texting scene has been in contention uh, all the way from like script script <laughs> to post. Okay, <laughs> there's one scene. This is like the fucking pebble in your shoe. Whoops, excuse me. You can curse. Okay, good. <laughs> and uh, and so it was is funny. It a- it's funny to see that like um, we fought we fought with the scene in in script, and then we and then when it came to time to shoot it. Uh, there was like all kinds of like debate over how to represent the texting. Is that the question? Right? Is that the challenge? How yeah. do we show the text? Yeah. Yeah. I had this idea, but it was just like not working out. And then finally, like, oh my we, god, we, it was like five minutes before uh, we had to render out. And Jill we, and I changed it. And wow. we figured wow. it out. But you know what's funny is like nobody comments on that. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's just like, well, a few people have. They're like, oh yeah, that's like cool. And it's like not a highlight of the film. <laughs> what no. did you? What did you end up doing? What did you go? With? Uh. Originally, we were supposed to see the text that they were writing in this conversation. I always knew that the conversation between Wendy and the person who she's texting with would be her own head. Mm. So it's like she hasn't met this person yet. She okay. doesn't know what they sound like. So right. it's just her making uh, a voice like, so it's like, hey, baby, how's it going? She's right. like, oh, I'm good. Doing well. I'm like, well, I think you look very sexy. Like yeah. sort of that it's sort her, of thing. Uh, I like that. Her own voice. But then the texting just wasn't, it just was so, it felt like a lost opportunity. It was driving us mental, like VFX. It was just like, our poor friend Joshin was just like, this is like, what What are you asking for? And it wasn't him at all. It was like me being unhappy with how it was being represented. So then we just used photos 
and like just zoomed in on the photo every time he was talking this like other person she's tindering with and it was like oh that works right it just took us like a year and a half uh, to figure and out then it's and like it was, a simple solution it's so fucking simple yeah, yeah. and then yeah again oh, like, i love it two people have ever been like oh that was kind of clever everyone else is like yeah of course yeah. someone's at my door apparently So Matt, Matt's, Matt's gone to his door, uh, and we're back. And while while that was happening, we were talking about how you're never really ready for your first film. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's like having a baby, is what I was saying. Yeah. There's never. There's so, yeah. There's, there's so never many the right time. Quotes about this, like you, you're yeah. never gonna feel ready. You, you just have to. I wish I could remember one that's a little more eloquent than that. But, but yeah, I mean that's. That's always been my vibe. I don't. I don't think we felt even ready like to do this podcast, but we just learned <laughs> as we went, and uh, right. yeah, it's it's other, otherwise you just sit there reading books for twenty years before you're like, all right, now I feel I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there are ways that you can prep yourself. Like, of course, there's plenty you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a baby. The baby's always going to be great. There might be easier times to have a baby, sure. but you know, at the end, if you love it and yeah. care for it, it's going to be okay. Especially if you believe in it, then. Your first project will, if if you believe in it, like no matter what, and like nothing, like you're indefatigable, and like no one can like um, take you down or like make you like say no to you, then your I think your first project will have this like scrappy energy, mm-hmm. you know, that like you know twenty years down the road when you've got like a twenty million dollar budget and you're just demanding armadillos everywhere, like <laughs> maybe it won't have that sort of like scrappy young energy that it used to have, right? So so there's there is a value to even like it's you know sometimes people regret their first films, but you shouldn't like you can see, may yeah, maybe you see all the mistakes, but you can also see this like um, spirit, you know this like yeah. very like energetic need to make like urgency to have the film done right, and then you and then you can move on right. Even if it doesn't get seen, I think yeah. you still learn. Oh, totally. Yeah, like it. It hardens you in a good way. And I think that it's it's kind of it's one of those things where. I, like I made my first kind of feature-ish thing mm-hmm. when I was 17 in the in the woods with my buddies and my handicap. And if I'd known going in how hard it was going to be, totally. I don't think I would have done it. Us too. Right? Like if you – but so you need that kind of – that naivete and that ignorance to to dive into something so crazy. And then once you've come out on the other side, yeah. you're more – you're better equipped to do it again. And so I don't think it's like as, as big of a mountain to climb. But I think you still need to – the hardest thing too is once you go through an experience like this is maintaining a bit of that that dream that glint in your eye. Yeah. Because otherwise then I think you become that like crotchety person sure. who's like, Oh yeah. Well, and you phone it in, <laughs> right? Like you need that spark. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think it is easy to lose it. And I think it does start to go away over the years and um yeah, it's tough to hold on to. Yeah. You need to be crazy to do this yeah. sort of thing, especially mm-hmm. over and over again. Especially hearing no over and over and over again, right? Like, which everyone is hearing all the time. No, yeah. you know, and you, you feel like it's because you're not good enough or your idea is not good enough. And that's really discouraging. Yeah. I just read, uh, t- did you ever read uh, Tennessee Williams' uh, essay about the, the perils of success? Mm-mm. No, I don't think so. It's really good because he wrote this just, just before writing, uh, well, he, he experienced a kind of like success glut uh, right uh, before writing uh, Streetcar Named Desire, and what he talks about is like when you're younger, you fight so much more to get something done, and then when and and let's say it works out for you and you get like the success that you want, 
uh, eventually you start to like disbelieve people when they say good job and you start to get accustomed to room service right. and all this sort of thing. Right, right, right. And all of your needs and wants are met. You, you've lost uh, the urgency to make something. Right. So he actually, uh, it's a great essay because then he goes to Mexico and like dicks away all of this like first class living and wrote streetcar because. Interesting. Yeah, because he, he had lost uh, sight, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Can I just add on, just because we're talking about Streetcar Named Desire, there's an incredible essay that Truman Capote wrote about um, Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando mm-hmm. when he's in Japan. And it's not really the same, but kind of, where it's like... He could see that Marlon Brando had been corrupted by success. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. So all this is to say it's important to hold on to the that uh, really pure reason why you're doing something, right. which is for love, I, I yeah. suppose, the love of cinema, a love and a belief of something. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's being true to yourself, too. And I, I gave a lecture at State last week. Um, and I, I said, I know it sounds like inspirational bullshit, but you're the only thing that makes you unique. Because one, one of the students asked me, he's like, how do I, how do I separate myself from all these 10,000 other filmmakers getting out of film school right now? And I was like, you, just, you have to be yourself. Because if you're trying to be someone else, then like, that's probably the same person that another 10,000 filmmakers are trying to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I think actually speaks to this film in in, in a really right. great way. I mean, that's. I mean, I think I think you look at a lot of uh, um, uh, filmmakers who have blown up. They they go to their roots. They go to their what's their story? What's their right. world? What's their um, you know the details of their lives? And and so you, I feel like you've you've done that as well in, in a brilliant way that is still unique because nobody else has done it that I'm aware of. Um, so and and I love that you're wearing the Alberta shirt and it's, and it's very Albertan and so yeah I think uh, now I, I I can't believe I haven't seen the film uh, but you, you have time <laughs> we're gonna have to how can we see it yes yeah so we're having an Albertan and Saskatchewan theatrical release mm-hmm. in May so for later. the next two weeks starting on May third you can go to the Globe Cinema and watch the film there cool um. If you're in Fort McMurray or St. Albert, I believe it's May 27th. We're showing in Edmonton over May Long Weekend. And in Saskatoon, I think it's next week. Next week, yeah. Yeah, so that'll be really cool. Um, awesome. Hoping to show a few other places, but if not, then we'll be online hopefully later this summer. So, Congratulations mm-hmm. to the theatricals. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Thank you yeah. so much for um, having us on the show. Like, yeah. We love... Um, we love Alberta (laughs) and, um, what you guys do is so important to the ecosystem, like a healthy ecosystem in the film community. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Do we want to talk about, uh, Kino something? I don't think we have time. No. All right. Unfortunately. No, I think maybe we'll save it for another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, and thank you for the kind words. Um, and, uh, yeah. Any websites or anything we should point to or social media accounts? For yeah. sure. Um, so if you want to go to uh, more information about the film, you can go to circleofsteel.ca. That's circleofsteel.ca. Uh, our production company, Kinosum, is also on Instagram, Facebook. Um, our website is kinosum.com. How do you spell Kinosum for us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's K-I-N-O-S-U-M.com. We love hearing um, from people. So our email, we have an info at. Um, shoot us an email if you have any questions. Uh, we're at a good spot where we love like we can go for coffee or a yeah. phone call. Mm-hmm. We like that. We like meeting people who are keen. So nice. We're also yeah. making a film this summer. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, it is through uh telefilm uh, and we're excited to make it, but I'm saying this, Jillian's looking at me funny, but I'm saying this <laughs> only because if you're interested in working with us, we've got a film coming up. Ah, gotcha. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you're keen to be on set, yes. let us know. Got we're it. looking for Corona. It's a good time. Yeah. For that, for sure. Absolutely. Right on. 
Well, congrats, and I'm looking forward to the theatrical run. Wait, what's the, what's the film called that you're making this summer? Can we talk about it? Mm-hmm. Just quickly? <laughs> the longest title. Events transpiring before, during, and after a high school basketball game. The producers are Nicola Walk and Kevin Dong, and the director and writer is Ted Stenson. We love all of them. They're part of our family. Um, mm-hmm. If you have any inquiries, uh, Nicola's email is on the Kinosum website. It's just Nicola, oh, wa at kinosum.com, but go onto the website yeah, sure. to find it. And yeah, hope to uh, hear from you. Work on a film, yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Mm-hmm.